1: Fans, welcome to Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the show. Today, as the Bulls continue their recent surge of productive play, winning their last two games and pushing their record to 6-8 and eight on the season. I wanted to talk about the trends and developments of this team now that we're a month into this new season. We've got enough of a sample size at this point, 14 games, which equates to around 20% of the season, of this short and scheduled 72-game regular season. So we've got some good data here, and we've got some data probably more importantly against some quality competition and, a di- and against a difficult schedule. The Bulls have actually performed above my expectations thus far, and given that the team remains largely untouched from last season with the most notable change being, from an on-court perspective at least, being Billy Donovan, the, the changes from a coaching point of view. I wanted to have an extended conversation about Billy Donovan and the changes he's made to the Bulls, both on and off the floor. And who better else to discuss the system and schematic changes the Bulls have made than the, probably the, the the one go-to resource in terms of bulls analysts, I'm talking to and referring to Stefan. No, Stefan, how are you, mate? Doing good, Mark. Excited to talk some bulls. Likewise, mate. Um, and and I'm um, I'm I'm very keen to obviously talk bulls more so these days than I have been over the last three three or so years. To be honest with you, I'm actually looking forward to podcasting again, which is not something I could say for the last two to three seasons. I there, there were very fleeting moments over the last couple of seasons where I've actually enjoyed talking about the bulls, but. Over the last three to four weeks, it's been um, it's been it's been really encouraging. So I thought we could uh, dive into it, Stefan. And like I said from the top, I wanted to talk about more so focus on Billy Donovan because like, look the, the the areas of the game where, in terms of analysis, where I feel I'm comfortable in, I'm not sure if I would say good in, but I feel comfortable in, is like just analysing rotations anal- analysing team building and those sorts of things. Whereas where it comes to the schematic changes, uh, X's and O's of specific plays, I feel like that's where I really lean on your expertise, let's say. So that's why I wanted to get into the conversations around what Billy Donovan has been doing, the tracking of what the Donovan has been doing. And I think we could start maybe on offense because I think that's where it's been most noticeable as to the shift between him um, and Jim Boylan, at least. So, yeah, we've got a good sample size. Now that we're we're fourteen games into the season, but over the last twelve games of this of, of this regular season, essentially since that Warriors game, the Bulls are actually five hundred through that time. They're six and six. They're posting the ninth best offensive rating, whilst having a net rating of just minus point four, which essentially puts them in the middle of the pack. What noticeable changes have you seen from Donovan on offense that have I guess sort of propelled this team and have done so with the largely the same personnel to 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 be fair. I wasn't expecting the offense to go to this sort of level given that there wasn't that many changes to the roster. But what what have you seen from a high level point of view from Donovan that has made this often shift this offense shift the way it has?
0: I mean it's it's kind of remarkable. He's totally changed the identity of the team. Like they were, I think, twenty eighth in offense two years ago and then 29th in offense last year under Boylan. So they were pretty terrible and then as you mentioned, with mostly similar personnel. I mean, they did get rid of Chris Dunn and Shaq Harrison who are kind of zeros on offense. So you'd expect them to go up a little bit, but certainly not to the level that they have where uh, I think you said they were ninth according to, I guess, NBA.com. They're 13th according to Cleaning the Glass. But yeah, somewhere in that top 10 range. Uh, and there, there have been quite a few things that he's done. So first of all, I mean, I think we all know that Jim Boylan's whole thing was playing the super aggressive defense where they would generate a lot of turnovers and they got most of their offense last year off fast breaks. When they were in uh half court offensive settings, they were, I think by far the worst team in the league or either dead last or 29th. I mean, they were just terrible. They could not score in half court offense. Uh, this year, you know, they're not generating nearly as many turnovers because there isn't that intense ball pressure. And as a result, they're not getting as many um, turnovers and they're not running as much. I know there's been a lot of talk about the Bulls playing at this very fast pace, which um, I actually don't agree with very much. Like Pace is not a measure necessarily of how fast you're playing. And a lot of that pace inflation is just because the Bulls are turning it over a lot. And when you turn it over a lot, that counts as a possession. So that's why you see that number high. So mm-hmm. he's, Donovan has slowed down the game. Uh, a lot for the team and he's gotten them much better, uh, in half court offense. You, you tweeted out some pretty good stats on what the team, uh, is looking like. Yeah. From a statistical perspective and they're generating a ton of free throws this year, which is obviously like a great source of offense. And then just their shot distribution is totally different. Like, uh, the players would complain constantly last year that, you know, they weren't allowed to shoot mid range shots. Boylan only wanted them shooting threes or shots at the rim. And, as a result of that, when you take away that huge section of the court and you tell these guys, like, just, you know, Boylan had this football mentality about everything where you can solve problems just by like pounding guys and trying harder. Uh, so the Bulls would just be out of control on so many of their drives last year. I mean, it was just constant. If you just like uh watch a two minute segment of any bulls game last last year, you'll see a totally wild drive through two or three defenders and they don't do that anymore this year, you know, they're like trying to drive into the pain and kick the ball out and find open shots. And uh, it's it's not really a surprise that, you know, that has led to a much more efficient offense. They have a lot of talent on offense. And for them to have been so bad, uh, it's like completely an indictment on coaching. I mean, it was just like a, such a clear sign that Boylan was just completely misusing these guys.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, and I constantly have to keep asking myself, like, how much of this is on the excellence of Billy Donovan, let's say, or even if I'm going too far by even saying the excellence of Billy Donovan, maybe just the pure competency of Billy Donovan versus the, the sheer incompetence of Jim Boylan. So whilst I'm sitting here wanting to talk about Billy Donovan, praising Billy Donovan, the work that he's done on and off the floor, and you know I can go into at length on that, I always have to sort of come back and just think to myself, is this maybe just what normal basketball is meant to look like? And just what we've been subject to for the last two to three years has just been so bad that maybe we've forgotten what it, what it's meant to look like and feel. So maybe to that point, I was going to maybe ask that question a little bit later. But now we're, while we're on the topic, I mean, everything that we're going to discuss here, should, should we be coming at it with a caveat of, you know, Boylan was so goddamn bad that maybe just anything that Donovan does and and says just looks so refreshing and so good in in, in contrast? Or has he just been legitimately that good?
0: Well, I don't think it's really an either-or question. I think both things can be true. And what what I think Donovan is particularly good at is getting buy-in from these players. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like, I think a really good example is uh, with Zach Levine. Like, um, a little confession to make, like, you know this, but most people don't like I am not <laughs> the biggest Zach Levine fan, yeah. and I think that he has gotten a lot better this year, and he's fixed a lot of things that were problem areas in the past and the reason for that is buy-in, you know, like he has made the right pass more often than not um yeah, like last year he was just playing hero ball way more often. he was taking a lot of like really tough uh I would say bad shots, and you have seen him cut down on that a lot and You have to remember that Donovan is Levine, I think he's had five coaches at this point, and they haven't all been bad coaches. I mean, he had Thibodeau in Minnesota for a while. Uh, I think Fred Hoiberg got through to him a little bit, but uh, yeah, I think that the level of buy-in that Donovan has gotten from Levine, he's able to convince him that, you know, you don't have to try to save the team for 48 minutes. You can save your best stuff for the end of games and try to make the right pass and conserve your energy, and I do not think it's a coincidence at all that, you know, as we've seen Levine's assist numbers grow, uh, the team has been winning a lot more lately, and that has been kind of a driving point for the surge in wins lately.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Zach's definitely made a leap, let's say, or a mini leap. I definitely want to come back and, and maybe conclude the show with uh, with some more takes around Levine. Uh, but coming back to the offense itself, and obviously Levine is, is, is the driving force behind that, but still, like... I don't, I don't I still don't view Zach as a primary guy as a lead creator let's say someone who you want to necessarily run your entire offense for 48 minutes I the, if Zach isn't that then and there's most certainly isn't anyone else on this team that I feel comfortable in that role but despite all that, I mean, the balls are zipping the ball around. The ball movement has been fantastic on this team thus far under Donovan. And maybe that's a way to get around the fact that they just don't have a guy like a Luka Doncic who we saw uh, on Sunday night, I think it was, or it was Saturday night, whatever it was in the US time. But, you know, you don't have necessarily that isolation guy that you're comfortable in just giving the ball in pick and roll and just letting him create the offense onto himself. So maybe a way around that or work around for teams is you know, you know, not necessarily just with the Bulls, but just teams in general, the way to get around that when you don't necessarily have that sort of level of playmaker is just to be an elite passing team. Now, not not to say the Bulls are an elite passing team, but what has been noticeable is just the ball consistently moves around under this Billy Donovan offense.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And even with these, uh, I guess like the catchphrase now people use is heliocentric offenses where it's just driven by one player, one big playmaker. I mean those those offenses still rely very heavily on passing. It's the 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 concept mm-hmm. of at all levels of basketball is pretty simple, you know, you try to create an advantage, you try to get two defenders and then once that happens you pass the ball around cuz somebody's going to be open. And for whatever reason the Bulls just have not been able to do that. It's like very, you know, very simple concept, but they're getting better. I mean, they're definitely getting better. I think uh the last game they just played, they had a bunch of these chain reaction passes which If you watch other teams... I think a lot of your listeners and a lot of Bulls fans in general only watch the Bulls. So, like, if you you watch other teams, like good teams or even just, like, mediocre playoff teams, like, that is not an unusual sight to see a player drive, kick, and then they swing the ball all the way around for a corner three. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, it's just... It's it's so unusual to see that on a Bulls team, though, <laughs> just because they haven't they haven't done it right, like yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and like seeing it two or three times a game, it's just like such a breath of fresh air that you know they're actually like playing this the you know the style of basketball that's just proven to be effective throughout the league.
1: Yeah, for sure. But like, it, and, and coming back to that caveat that we were speaking to bit be, about before, whether the whole Donovan versus Boylan thing. And whether it is an e- either or all situation, but like that, that is the stark contrast about it. And to your point, like for me at least, like I, I watch every single Bulls game. I'll maybe catch, you know, occasional NBA games here and there that, you know, they're big headlining games. And I'm obviously not watching uh, most other teams play most of their other games. I'm, sp- I'm specifically watching the Bulls. So to that point, maybe you do just get used to just seeing bad basketball, bad basketball, bad basketball. And then when you do occasionally tune into a, and another team, let's say like the Nets Bucks game the other day or yesterday. When you see that team compared to, you know, the, the Bulls teams that we've seen previously under Boylan, you just don't understand how it's even the same sport. So now to see Donovan and the way the Bulls are, are functioning on offense and at least resembling a competent team. It is, it is refreshing. And, and to that point, I mean, the last two games, there have been wins for the Bulls against pretty good teams. I mean, the Mavs and Rockets haven't necessarily found their groove this season for a number of different reasons, but they are playoff-caliber teams in the Western Conference, even without James Harden. I think you could still make that claim for the Rockets that they're there or thereabouts, at least in a playing tournament. So they're good competition. Victor Oladipo is a good player. They've got some good players on that squad, but the Bulls still found a way to win. I know they had that second half meltdown against OKC, but in the first half, they did exactly what we we're talking about from a ball movement point of view. They were whipping the ball around. Against Dallas, the team had 32 assists and limited their turnovers to 14 turnovers. And like I said, like I'm, I'm just surprised because I still don't believe in this team from a playmaking career, a point of view. Like They still need that playmaker, that reliable crunch time creator. But having said that, they've found they've found ways to navigate that to still build out a really good and efficient offense. I think uh, the Bulls are third in true shooting percentage over their last 12 games, second in e-field goal percentage. So I'm, I'm, I'm conveniently leaving out the first two games here, Stefan, where the team just looked terrible. But the last 12 games, which is still a, a reasonable sample size, the majority of the season, the team has been functioning to me a, a lot better. So, I mean... To that point, though, and again, maybe just trying to talk myself back here a little bit when I see things like second in, in true, or third in true shooting percentage rather than second in E field goal percentage, trying to balance the whole Donovan versus Boylan uh, dynamic. I guess another thing that I'm trying to do to myself, at least not to dive completely off the D fan with this team and just thinking they've, they've been remodeled, maybe the trajectory of the team has changed dramatically is are they just on a bit of an unsustainable heater right now and will things sort of crater back at some point to a more respectable level? I don't think it's going to be as bad as it was last season, let's say. They've, they've clearly lifted their baseline, but is what we're seeing now sustainable or is it, a bit, is, it, is it a hot run essentially?
0: Well, it's definitely partially a hot run. I mean, if you've watched these games, you have Garrett Temple shooting like fadeaway corner threes contested and just nailing all of them and I think they're shooting 38 or 39% as a team from three. Uh, There's a lot of data out there that says that you can't really control that number. That's more just a factor of randomness. And league average this year is about 36.6%, I think. So uh, interestingly, Bulls opponents are also shooting way above league average. So I think that their defense will naturally improve too as that just regresses to the mean. But even if their shooting numbers go down, which I think they will, I think that they can still be a pretty good offense because they are improving from game to game and mm-hmm. uh, donovan said after this rockets game that he still wasn't very happy with the offensive performance even though it was pretty good i mean they're obviously they're turning the ball over at an incredible rate and that should hopefully go down as you know these players get more comfortable but also I, I think they still have a lot of these bad boiling habits ingrained in them. Uh Donovan mentioned specifically that the Rockets were switching a lot against the Bulls. And when they got these switches, uh they weren't taking advantage properly. Like they weren't trying to drive and kick. They were just um I think like a couple times they were trying to shoot over these guys or just not I, I know like they missed uh Wendell Carter a couple of times uh, when he had his man pinned deep inside. So there are definite areas of improvement where they can make up that gap from uh, when they do start shooting a, a little bit more normal percentages. So I, I think that um, it's still okay to be optimistic that you know they can still stay somewhere in that top 10 range.
1: Yeah, most, most certainly. And I'm trying to talk myself into that. And I guess part of the reason or an example as to why Bulls fans listening should maybe feel confident about the offense maybe holding up to a degree is the fact that even though they don't necessarily have a Luka Doncic, let's say, or a LeBron James or insert any lead playmaker, elite playmaker on this, you know, whoever whoever that may be across the NBA, the Bulls don't necessarily have that player on this specific team. But what they do have and maybe what they've accessed this season, unlike other seasons, is they're seemingly getting playmaking from all areas and all levels of the court this season in comparison to even last season. And And essentially what I'm referring to here is, The playmaking they're getting from their big men, specifically Wendell Carter and Thad Young, I think that has just added an element to the offense that hasn't been there before. And maybe more importantly, is sort of easing the burden on Zach Levine, probably even more so Kobe White, who continues to be up and down it from a point guard point of view. The fact that they're getting playmaking out of guys like Otto, Thad, Wendell from the high post, I think that has sort of helped the offense too, to the point where I'm sort of coming to the realization that Just having good veterans like Otto Porter, Thad Young, Garrett Temple, sadaransky He's missed most of the season, but he'll be back soon, hopefully. Just having just good, smart, reliable basketball players has raised this floor so much for this team. But even on offense, I think that's where it's most felt. So... Do you, th- do you feel that's true as well? Just simply having access to more veterans, more smarter players, and playing them for extended periods of time has just helped boost this Bulls team in general, but more specifically, helped Billy Donovan instill a good offensive system?
0: Absolutely. And that's that's true on defense as well, even though their defensive numbers aren't very good. Uh, the veterans are for sure the, the best team defenders uh, on the roster. And uh, Like you mentioned, just throwing out the first couple games of the season, you have to remember too that most of their veterans were out in that first game. I think Thad Young was out. Sadaransky was out. I think Gareth Temple missed that first game too. Uh, so it was also like a really bad matchup for them. Um, with uh, They're not going to do good against teams who have good pull-up shooting guards and bigs that can pop. So I think that it is kind of fair to throw out that first game against the Hawks. And also, I mean, you mentioned all these players that are helping the Bulls. You have to keep in mind that this year out of every other year is uh, the time where depth is going to be the most advantageous by far for teams. And the Bulls mm-hmm. have a really good bench. Uh, yep. They have a lot of depth throughout the roster. When they miss these players for COVID-related stuff or injuries or whatever, like they have um, decent players. Like Even just having players that are not replacement level uh, makes... A, that that is like huge when when you're making these like um, models of how many wins teams are gonna get. Just having a lot of depth of like mediocre players that makes a massive difference in regular season wins. And yeah, you, I mean you're seeing it when the Bulls play these other, other teams and they are not as deep. Every team is missing players, so the teams that can go eight or nine or ten deep, you know, we got to see your boy Ryan Archidiakono, You told me you had to have an emergency podcast because he finally got some minutes and he was actually pretty good, right? Like <laughs> I think good. he hit, I think he hit three threes or something. So the fact that the bulls can plug these guys in and not just totally fall apart, like they have in years past where their bench has been atrocious. I think that that is really making a huge difference this year and, and the product on the floor.
1: Yeah. I've coined the, uh, the bench, the vet mob in, in, uh, In reflection of the benchmark back in the day. I don't don't know if it's a good name or not, but um, I'm sort of running with it until I hear or think of something better for the moment, but... um, Yeah, I like it. it, it, (laughs) Well, we'll see if it sticks, but the the professionalism of the team, it it comes from Donovan and it's filtered itself down, but having someone like Garrett Temple, I think, and Thad Young, an engaged thing, Thad Young, sort of leading or being the voice of Donovan on the court, I think can't be understated. And it's just, like I said, it's helped raise the floor of this team. But I think... To that and coming back to Billy Donovan, another thing that sort of makes sense with this offense now is it just it just feels balanced like a, at, a, at, a, at a point that it hasn't been for some time. And what I'm referring to here is specifically this season thus far through 14 games, the team is 16th in percentage of field goals attempted from the two-point range. They're 15th from three-point range, uh, 13th in percentage of their points from mid-range. Obviously, that wasn't the case last season. And in addition to that, they're not necessarily forcing the ball inside, not necessarily forcing shots at the rim. Shots at the rim are typically good shots, the shots that you want to get. But if you don't necessarily have guys who can get to the rim outside of Zach Levine, which the Bulls don't really have, then there's no point necessarily forcing that. But that was kind of what was happening under Bo- on Boylan. Obviously, a lot of three-point shots, no mid-range shots at all. But you have to play to your personnel. Zach Levine is good in the mid-range. He can obviously get to the rim when needed, but not many others can. So there's no point forcing the ball into the paint. So it just feels like the the distribution of the offense from not necessarily against the hierarchy of the players, but where they're scoring the ball, the levels from where they're scoring the ball, it just feels really balanced and to a point where it should be for this team based on the personnel. Do you kind of agree with that?
0: Um, I mean, I think that, there's still a big emphasis on driving the ball and getting to the rim. It's just yeah. that instead of forcing up shots, they're looking to pass and take advantage mm-hmm. of these shifting defenses. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I th- I think that you mentioned Zach Levine is a good mid-range shooter. He's actually not. He's, he's, he's a really bad mid-range shooter for his career. So that's another area where I think the team is going to regress a lot. But at the same time, um, you know, like an open mid-range shot is a better shot than these contested, uh, heavily contested shots that the Bulls were getting from better shot right, shot zones last year. So I, I think there's a give and take there. I think that Donovan is doing a pretty good job of balancing that. And um, the the mid range shots that the Bulls are taking are for the most part open. We've, we've seen Wendell Carter take a lot of those where big men are just sagging way off him. So I think those are you know great shots for him to take. Uh, I think I think they might be like going a little bit overboard on some of these like as Levine does have a tendency to take some really, really tough ones. And, you know, he has been hitting them, fair enough. But yeah, I I think that's probably going to go down. So I think it's 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 to be determined, uh, something to keep an eye on, but I'm not quite sure one way or the other yet.
1: No, fair enough, fair enough. I mean, yeah, a lot of this can obviously swing in, in, in a roundabout way. Whilst it's a decent sample size, 14 games, it is still a smallish sample size. And I don't want to get too carried away based on how nuts I went, uh, you know, February 2019, almost two years ago at this point. But um, I, I have that in the back of my mind always as well that we've seen some good play before over small sample sizes. So I don't want to get carried away too much. But at least from watching the games, the balance on offense feels right. It, it feels the way it should be, at least. But um, you, to your point, it, it could all swing. And it, it only takes two, three games. Good or bad to really sort of change these these numbers that are dramatically at this point. And well,
0: I mean, I, I do think that they're not forcing as much stuff, though. I mean, that's really yeah, the key takeaway yeah.
1: here. No, I think that's definitely a true statement. But um, from an offensive standpoint, we've definitely seen, I mean, it's material in terms of the numbers. You, you can clearly see the shifts Donovan has made in the numbers. They're, they're reflecting very well there. In terms of the eye test versus the stat test, like it, they're all lining up from an offensive standpoint. And maybe that is true on defense as well. I want to explore the defensive part of the court as well because that's clearly something that the Bulls need to improve. So whilst the offense has trended so far up from last season, what hasn't necessarily trended up or has really hasn't even stagnated, it's dropped dramatically, is on the defensive side of the ball, which... I was expecting to, to a degree, maybe not to a do to the degree that I've seen thus far, but essentially through that twelve-game sample size that I've continued to reference through throughout this episode, the Bulls are twenty-seventh in defense. So whilst the offense has been ninth in offensive rating over the, over those twelve games, the uh, the defense rather is bottom five. It gets them to a a net rating point of view where they're the twentieth in the league, which is. Just outside of the playoffs, let's say, you you know, you, you're you sort of in that playing tournament range, which again, feels kind of right as to where the balls are, but I just feel like if they can make some small marginal gains on defense, then we're talking about a very different team, assuming obviously this, the offense can, can remain at a, at, a, at a reasonable rate like it currently is. But what have you made about this whole defensive changes that uh, that Billy Donovan has made, the narrative around the The Bulls' defense, I think the narrative itself has been uh, nauseating to me at least, but uh, I'm interested to get your thoughts about the Bulls' defense more generally and maybe just the conversation around it, the the, the side piece conversation to the defense itself.
0: Okay, well, first of all, I mean, I know that the Bulls statistically finished somewhere in around the top 10 in defense last year, but you have to keep in mind that the season was canceled, right? Like they were coming up on by far the hardest part of their schedule Mm -hmm. and that number was going to drop precipitously. Also, they were I, th- I think at that point of the season Dunn was out with an injury, right? Yeah. So, and and they were like they were sliding very rapidly. So, yeah. it technically yeah. like yes, they were a top 10 defense, but I mean, I think if the season had finished, they probably would have finished somewhere around league average. And contrast that with this season where uh their schedule has been extremely front-loaded. So, they they have been a bad defense. I mean, there's there's no way around that. But I don't think they've been quite as bad as the numbers reflect. Uh, second of all, like I, I mentioned at the top of the show, like the the biggest change to this team is you know, their Boylan was so obsessed with manipulating these numbers to make them look good. He would play these all defense guys with no offense. You know, Archie Diacono, uh, Dunn, Harrison. He would he, he'd play like three or four guard lineups sometimes just to. Get the most active players out there that he could. You know, Chandler Hutchison. He played a lot. He's like a mostly defense, no offense, guy. So, just the change in uh, rotations and personnel is going to naturally make a difference in those numbers. And then, as far as uh, the scheme goes, obviously they changed from this you know blitz happy defense to a drop defense. I think this drop defense has been widely misunderstood by. The entire fan base. Like drop <laughs> defense is not an unusual style of defense to play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's actually like a lot of teams use base drop, and it's also like you can be very successful with it. I mean, the Milwaukee mm-hmm. Bucks have been using it for years under Bud, and they've been a top three defense most of that time. Yeah. I was listening to the low post uh today, and Zach Lowe was mentioning that um the Grizzlies. Are surprisingly, I think the number four defense in the league right now, and they're also like a very drop-heavy team. So it is possible to be a an elite defense by using a drop scheme. Uh, the trick is that you have to be good at it, right? Like you have to have good execution. That's true regardless of what scheme you use. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think that it's still very early. Like the Bulls did not get very much time to practices at all, and Wendell Carter said that he's never played drop in his life. Uh, the last couple games, you've seen him a lot better in the scheme. He had five steals, uh, mostly just breaking up lobs uh, two games ago. And then last game, I didn't check his box score, but I did notice that he broke up another lob. So he's learning how to play that space between the ball handler and the roll man a lot better. And I think that's just going to continue like as this team gets to practice a little bit more uh, on the court. Like they're, they're basically practicing during games right now. So you know you, you have to give them some time, and I think that number is just naturally going to trend up. A because the schedule is going to get easier. B because teams have been shooting really hot against them, and C just because yeah they're going to get more acclimated to the scheme.
1: Yeah, that's a good point around the uh, the, the, the the strength of schedule. And uh, look, uh, uh, for whatever reason, like I always note that down that the fact that the offense is holding up this well against actual good teams, and the fact that the Bulls have been competitive against a really decent tough schedule like the first 20 games of the season were always going to be tough for the Bulls we don't have necessarily what the schedule looks like for the the, for the back half of the season but I can't imagine it being as difficult as the first sort of month or the first 20 games will have been or will be so from that standpoint the, the fact that the offense is holding up that well against that good competition is something that I just mentally note but for whatever reason when it comes to defense it's something that slips for me I just always think you know, they're just terrible on defense and I just bring that back to more to the personnel and I guess it's partly both true. But uh yeah, you're right. I I definitely should consider the 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 you know, who they've played thus far, the fact that they've had no training camp really and the fact that they've undergone a scheme change the way they had, but then maybe there is some scope here from the defense rising up from say twenty-seventh where it's been the first twelve or the last twelve games, let's say. Maybe up to 20th or 21st, 22nd, somewhere like that. I don't, I don't see a good defensive team based on this personnel, but I, I do think it's possible for them to make marginal gains to that point of view. But I guess, look, I'll, I'll be, um. I'll be transparent, Stefan. The reason why I brought this up, because I just wanted to have another rant about the whole Wendell Carter thing and the conversation around the drop coverage and all this. Uh, it's 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 just irritating me to the point where, I mean, Stacey King is on the broadcast at this point. I think it was the OKC game where he was, he admitted on the broadcast, he didn't actually know the scheme the Bulls are playing, yet had the audacity to question why Wendell Carter is dropping back on defense. And, the part, or the reason why that annoys me, is the fact that fans who maybe aren't versed on, you know, the the minutia of what the team is trying to do, which they don't necessarily have to be, but they pick that up from the broadcast, and you know, when the broadcast is just so wrong between Stacey King and Kendall Gill, just getting these things so wrong, uh, it pisses me off. So I, I uh, in terms of being transparent, uh, Stefan, that's why I asked the question just to get your take on it, um, just so I could go into a bit of a rant there. So uh, thank you for uh, entertaining me on that.
0: Well, in fairness to Stacy and Kendall Gill, uh, the, the game has changed a lot since they played back <laughs> in the 90s, and I think the reason why they are uh why they have problems with this drop scheme is drop defense was not popular at all back when they played. Uh, teams played a way more aggressive style of pick and roll defense, and also the amount of ball screens and pick and roll offense has just dramatically increased too. So um yeah i think the way they were taught is just um it 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 clashes so heavily with this idea of drop defense that that is why they have a problem with it um yeah and i will i will i will not uh, throw them under the bus i think you've done that enough (laughs) just leave it at that
1: (laughs) you were definitely being uh more diplomatic let's say uh, which is typical of your of your nature and something i actually uh Admire about you, and and and, and uh, I, I like your even killness Where at, at times I have a yeah, an ability to be a little bit irrational, a little, little, little bit of a motive, and on this specific issue, but um, on other topics as well that you and I have maybe discussed offline. But um, I just had to get those jabs in there because look, if you don't know it, fine, that's fine. Don't you, you don't know it? It's fine, but don't comment on something you don't know. But anyways, I, I'm getting off the uh, off the beaten path here, but uh, I'm I'm impressed both are what Wendell Carter is doing, given the fact that maybe he hasn't necessarily played in drop scheme. I don't think he's an issue at all in the coverage. I think the Bulls could probably improve slightly. And I don't know, Stefan. if the offense can sort of hold where they are at the moment, which is around the ninth, let's say top 10, whilst lifting that defense from say 27th to 20th, do you think there's some scope here for the Bulls to actually be a legitimate 500 team, which in the East at this point gets you into, you know, a seventh or eighth seed? And at that point... I get very close to losing my bet with C. Red Fred. So, do you think there is a legitimate chance if the Bulls could sort of lift their defense? We're talking about a playoff team here.
0: Well, if we're talking about a 500 team, like a barely sneaking into the playoff team, then. Yeah,
1: yeah. Let's not get like too rash.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, what did you say their net rating was at this point? Negative 0.4? Think,
1: yeah, correct.
0: So, that, I mean, that's essentially like a 500 team. Like, you know, a zero net rating is equivalent to a 500 team. So. Uh, yeah, if they improve to their defense to 20th, they're probably going to get there. They're, they're not that far off.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's in play. And I was just, so just thinking about this today in preparation for this podcast. I'm like, uh, the offense looks sustainable at this point. Like we said, it's, it's, it's performing well against good teams. If the defense could just lift a touch... And, and, you know, maybe there's some scope for that to happen as the the players get a little bit more used to the scheme and hopefully there's some just internal, you know, development from guys like Kobe and Zach and other point of attack defenders. Then maybe, just maybe we're looking at a a playoff team that can sneak in as a 7th or 8th seed the the same way, you know, the Brooklyn Nets have done in in years past, the same way the Orlando Magic have consistently turned up in the playoffs as a 7th or 8th seed and not that I want the Bulls to be a consistent 7th or 8th seed, but in terms of a, a progression, going from a team that was you know, on track to, or they did win 22 wins last season, they were very much a bad team last year, as we've sort of clearly noted on this podcast and many many before that. It just is a sign of, of development. It's a sign of progression. And to that point, segueing away from that into a guy who is clearly reflecting those year-on-year developments. I wanted to close a podcast talking about Zach Levine because... To me, at least, what he's doing this year is pretty damn notable. We, we touched on it a little bit at the top of the show about your assessment of Zach a little bit, but I want to dive a little bit more into that because even for me, he's going to levels that I probably didn't expect. And I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a Zach Levine homer. I definitely wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a skeptic of Zach Levine either. I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. I can sort of see both sides of the argument. But at the same time, the fact that he consistently shows up and improves year on year, like I'm I'm more than happy to root for a guy like Zach Levine. But I'm interested to get to get your thoughts, your high level thoughts, at least initially, on the steps that Zach Levine has made, maybe on playmaking specifically, but even as a scorer, it feels like he's gone to a new level too. He's, he's finishing at the rim now compared to where he's at now in the seventh season versus where he was at even two seasons ago, is just the, the improvement that he's made on that end is just you know, completely insane. So I wanted to talk about Zach Levine because over the last sort of 12 games, he's been averaging 29 points, six, six assists, five rebounds, putting it all up on the floor. I mean, what are, you, what are your thoughts about Levine, his growth and, and his his growth, uh, I, I guess, a reflection of Donovan and, and the rest of the team sort of coming along the way they have as well?
0: Well, if you look at how teams guarded Levine in years previously, I mean, it was it was pretty much the same thing every game. Like teams would load up on him. They would blitz him. They would send two or sometimes even three defenders at him because, uh, like, it, the Bulls just didn't have anything behind him. Right. And also, they knew that, especially late in games, like he was going to shoot it anyway. He was just going to find a way to shoot it. And I think that's why his numbers were extremely good in years past, but not to the level they are now. Like now, this year, he has a lot more help. Uh, he's making the right dump off passes when he's getting blitzed. He's. His his passing has improved dramatically. Like I was, I was. You actually mentioned this uh to me earlier on in the season, and I was pretty skeptical. I was like, okay, like sure, yeah, he's improved. But as I watched closer, like he actually is making passes that I've not seen him make in years previously. He's made some crazy no look passes that I'm surprised have not gained more attention just on the national level because they've been pretty amazing. I, just, I think it's just a testament that you know, still, even though the Bulls are much improved. um they're not really registering uh on the national level quite yet, but yeah i I just i I've been very impressed with his offensive growth. I still think that um he needs to get a little bit better at shot selection, especially late in these games, and his help defense still is not very good, but you know the the strengths of Levine vastly outweigh the flaws and um, you mentioned that you're rooting for him. I mean, his character throughout all this stuff has been incredible. Like I would not fault him at all for blaming Jim Boylan or blaming, you know, other outside factors, but he has always pointed to himself when the bulls have lost these games, he's always taken on the responsibility. And I think that that is a uh, very revealing about the character of this guy. Like I, I also really want to root for him to do well. And, um, he's definitely put in the work and he's, he's. Surprisingly, I didn't think he could do it, but he's taken another leap this year. You're absolutely right.
1: Yeah, and look, just just so it's clear, I still don't feel like Zach Levine is a number one guy on a, on an on a team that matters. Let's say, but on a team that's good and competitive and decent, then he maybe can be that. And to that point, again, coming back to the last twelve games, the Bulls are six and six through that record through those that stretch of twelve games. They could easily be nine and three. Given the, wanna, the way some I, of these I games, I want to push are. back
0: a little bit on this, Mark. I've heard you say this uh, a lot. <laughs> I've heard other people say that. I mean, like, yes, they could easily be nine and three, but they could also easily be three and nine, right? I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna point to the games only where they lost by two points, you have to point to the games where they won by two or three as well, right?
1: Yeah, I, I guess if you want to be uh, objective about it, Stefan, but um, I'm gonna be less objective about it. But yeah, and, fair, and, enough, and, fair and enough. And to that point, I, I certainly take your point, and it's it's obviously well founded. But at the same time, like coming back to the who they've played? The fact that they lost to the Lakers teams, or sorry, the LA teams by a combined, I think five points or whatever it was. Like they, they could have been wins, but they weren't. They were losses. But still, even a six and six record through those twelve games is decent. It can be, again, compared to where we were coming from last season, let's say. So to, to pull off a five hundred record at this point is encouraging. To the point where I still feel like Zach is not a number one guy, but I guess my mind is starting to shift that. I don't know if, and so much of the narrative around Zach Levine is the fact that, you know, he's good enough to get you to a certain point, but not necessarily good good enough to get you to a point beyond that. Maybe someone like a, De, a DeMar DeRozan comparison or something like that. Not to say their games are exactly the same, but similar type of mold of player. But I'm starting to change my perspective before where maybe your previous version of Zach Levine, where I had maybe thoughts about maybe trading him, say, six months ago when he was at a certain level of play, maybe you trade that play and you just, you just try to reboot the rebuild type thing. But he's getting he's gotten to a point this season at least where if you're gonna deal someone like Zach Levine, you have to be pretty damn sure that what you're getting back is makes sense because I don't want a Jimmy Butler 2.0 situation. So I, I guess the what I'm leading here at the at this point is has the development of Zach Levine, the year on year improvement, obviously he's maybe not necessarily a Luka Doncic or a number one guy whoever that player may be. He's not necessarily a top 10, top 15, top 20 top player, but have we gotten to the point where Zach is almost too good to trade and you have to actually start thinking about maybe dealing some other young players on this roster, maybe some other additional assets like draft picks or whatever it may be to bring in veteran help to put alongside someone like Zach Levine rather than trying to reboot the rebuild, let's say by trading Zach Levine. Because in trading Levine, you're not necessarily going to get back a number one player who the Bulls don't necessarily have, but maybe you can trade some other pieces to maybe get an equivalent player to Zach Levine, add some other veteran help around this team, and maybe you can build something that's a good, respectable 45 to 50 win team. I, I don't know. That's where my mind is currently trying to shift itself at the moment based on the development I've seen from Levine, but uh, interested to get your thoughts about the, the wider schematic roster building of this team. Based on how Levine is developing as a player himself.
0: Well, I can definitely see both sides of the issue. I don't feel very strongly one way or the other, because I yeah, I, I do think both uh paths have good points in favor of them. I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, maybe you don't I agree with you that Levine is not gonna be like the best player on a championship team, but you still need to find that number two guy, the number three guy, the number four guy. And those guys are not easy to find. It's not easy to trade for a Zach Levine type player when you have, you know, a Luka Doncic on your team or a Giannis on your team. So uh, if, you, if you have that guy, I mean, from that angle, it does make some sense to keep him and then just try to find a way to get that number one player. I mean, The Bulls are still, uh, you know, they might, they might make the playoffs they might get into the lottery we've seen in previous years that teams are jumping into the, those top four picks a lot more frequently than in previous years and Straft has uh, at this point like three very very strong players at the top of it so they could you know they could still you know maybe miss the play in game by a game or two have Levine have a fantastic year and then get one of those guys that I think that would be like um, best case scenario. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Like, it's. I guess it. It all just depends on. I, th- I think the Bulls need to be flexible, and you know, the thing I always said with Jimmy Butler when they were looking to shop him was I was okay with trading him under the condition that they just got an offer that completely blew them away. Yeah. And if that wasn't the case, then you should definitely hold on to him because it's going to be very, very hard to replace him. I feel that a little bit less strongly with Levine. Like, I think it's going to be hard to replace him. Not quite. Obviously, not quite as hard as Jimmy Butler, but. You know, they should they should be taking calls if they get any offers that is just like a contender that is desperate for that last final piece, then yeah, go ahead and pull the trigger. But I definitely would not make the same mistake they did with Butler and just sell low or take the first offer. I think that would be idiotic. <laughs> I don't think current shows would do that. I think that's strictly, you know, GARPAC's territory.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, hopefully. And I guess... I'm just trying to rationalize it all. And, and to your point, you're most certainly right again in terms of that, that they should consider all paths, have all plans mapped out and based on how the variables sort of lie, choose the right path based on that. I mean, if the team is all of a sudden dives off a cliff here, reverse back to boiling ball or whatever it might be, then maybe we feel differently. But if they continue building and, you feel like you got something here with Zach Levine and a couple other pieces that maybe just add to that rather than tearing it down. And I guess the reason I bring it up here is one, because of Zach Levine has just been amazingly good this season thus far. We're not going to have an all-star game, but I'm assuming they're still going to vote vote for all-stars. And if that's the case, I feel pretty confidently at this point that he'll probably get in. He, that, he's been that good, but I guess... Again, coming back to it, like I'm just trying to rationalize it in my own mind where I just assumed at some point this season the veterans are going to be traded, Zach Levine was going to be traded, that we would reboot the rebuild, as, as I sort of alluded to before. I just assumed that would be the case, but maybe that won't be if the team continues following the trends they are. And I'm just wondering that you know instead of trading Zach Levine and, and giving, the, giving the reins to, to Kobe White in the backcourt and, and rebuilding with Kobe White as your lead guard or as one piece of that, that maybe you traded someone like Kobe White in addition with to you know a couple other pieces, maybe future draft picks or whatever it might be, to get some help in to maximize the prime of Zach Levine in the way that the Bulls didn't do so with Jimmy Butler. I guess that's where I'm. I'm just spitballing in, in my own mind at this point. But to your point, it's it's completely dependent on so many variables. But it's just an interesting thought exercise. It's just interesting to see how quickly maybe some of these pers- uh, perspectives can shift just when the uh, the Bulls start playing uh, some decent basketball at least.
0: Well, I think too. Like, if if you want to reboot this rebuild or get back into the lottery, like you can still keep Levine on the roster and do that. If if you just trade away the veterans, like you said, you suspect they will, they're going to get a lot worse. I mean, these veterans are. Uh, I don't know how closely people are watching these games, but the veterans are keeping them in these games. The veterans are playing a lot better than yeah. the starters. Uh-huh. So yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of demand for those guys because they've played so well. I think it's really smart too what they're doing. Um, they're inflating the value of these guys by mm-hmm. playing them against bench units who are worse, you know, so they're keeping their trade value very high. So if, if teams want, I, I mean, every team needs a guy like Garrett Temple, right? At the yeah. D wing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thad Young is going to have more demands. Sadoransky. I mean, who knows, you know, when he's coming back, unfortunately, but I would think that, you know, he's, he's pretty solid uh, guy who could get minutes in, on a playoff team. So yeah, I think that um, I'm with you. That I think they're going to trade those guys at the deadline, so they're just naturally going to get a little bit worse.
1: Yeah, like I said, based on the variables, we'll see how it all plays out. But it's given us something different to think about. Where I just assume we were coming into the season and just assuming or knew that things were going to to change in the sense that guys were going to get traded, but. Maybe, maybe it won't, maybe the opposite will happen and maybe they'll bring in guys to help support these players or whatever it may be. But uh, we'll obviously see how it plays out. But Stefan, I've kept you long enough, mate. I I do appreciate you coming on the, on the podcast. It's been good to catch up with you. Obviously, you know, we, we follow all your work that you put out there. You know, the the, the writing that you do post games and those sorts of stuff is always, uh you know, first class stuff. But um, before you get away, in the odd chance that Bulls fans listening to Bulls HQ don't know where to catch your work, don't know where to follow you, where can they do that?
0: So yeah, I'm doing most of my work for free this year on Twitter, just through tweets. I'm uh, giving Twitter all the the free money and advertising, I guess. But you can follow me uh, at Stephno. that's S-T-E-P-H-N-O-H. And then probably uh, every other week I'm writing something on my Substack page. That's also totally free. The link is in my bio, in my Twitter, so you can go ahead and click that. And free to subscribe. The only purpose of subscribing is uh, you get a little email alert every time I write something new. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, that's about all I'm doing, uh, similar to you, Mark, I'm just putting in the grind, uh, I guess to serve the community. And because we, we are a little bit sick when it comes to the bulls, <laughs> you and I both.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, are we are both largely doing this for free. Uh, at least I can speak for myself in that sense. Um, the uh the reward to effort ratio isn't maybe uh fruitful let's say but um we've we've got a sickness that we just can't turn away from this bulls team for whatever reason so hopefully in that sense it's valued by the bulls community at large i I definitely feel that is the case with you Stefan. so keep doing what you're doing mate and and to paint a picture of that I, I'm a subscriber to your Substack, I believe, and I just get that through. I get all your writing via email, which makes it very easy and convenient. I just woke up this morning, my time. Obviously, I'm in a different time zone. I wake up and check my mobile like the idiot that I am and spend like half an hour on my phone when I get up. And uh, one of the first things that I saw today was an email from Stefano, which was your your article or your latest piece up on the uh, on the Substack there. So Bulls fans listening to Bulls HQ, if, if whatever is in, You haven't followed Stefano on Twitter. You're not, you know, following his writing. Well, firstly, what the hell are you doing? And secondly, go and correct that. So uh, thank you to Stefan for coming on the podcast. But more broadly, thank you for the work that you do, mate, more largely covering this team. But uh, Bulls fans, in uh, in the interest of promoting my own Twitter and those sorts of things... Whilst you're out there following Stefan, go hit me up on Twitter as well. I'm mostly on Twitter at this point, but uh, at MK Hoops, you can follow the show on Twitter as well at Bulls HQ Pod. If you want to send Bulls HQ an email, a suggestion about the show, some ideas about the shows, or if you simply want to be part of our Discord forum, send me an email, bullshqpod at gmail.com. I can provide you a link to the Discord and all that sort of stuff. So thank you again to Stefano for coming on this episode of Bulls HQ. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's hope that this good trend of Bulls basketball continues. But until then, this has been another episode of Bulls HQ. Again, thank you to everyone tuning in. We'll be back again next week. Speak soon, Bulls fans.